So, and there was stuff about advanced antenna arrays that we don't have with current 5G networks. And, and so I, I was reading all of this and I was thinking, um, you know, on the network side alone, forget some of the application software stuff, but in terms of the hardcore network stuff that Huawei's always done and that it started off doing, they're not in a very good position at the moment. Unless there's something we don't know that China's doing that we haven't been right. told about. Why aren't they? How do you know that because, they're not? So, so, so the big problem for them, and this has been a, this isn't a new thing, but I thought it was worth sort of revisiting with them coming out with this some of this stuff, and they've never really been able to explain um, things very well, is that their ability to produce advanced 5G equipment is basically fucked. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Absolutely lovely day in London today. We're a little bit, we're, we're recording this on a Friday, but we're a little bit late because we had lunch with Red Hat. So shout out to Amy and shit, I've forgotten the name of the other people we were having lunch with. Can you remember their names? No, that was your job. Oh, sorry, Red Hat. <laughs> That's a good Sorry, start, Red Hat. <laughs> sorry, Red Hat. But you, the other two people were great. Alison? Uh, All right, hang on a minute. I, while you're uh, rambling on, I'm going to look up the name. Because so they're going to they're going to watch this now and go, for God's sake, take all the trouble of getting them a nice lunch. I should edit the name in over your list. Yeah, no, it's fine. I don't, I don't mind admitting my Ignacio Gonzalez. Ignacio, of course. Yeah. And did we get the name of? Um, I didn't remember the name of no. the uh, other 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 person. person. Sorry, who was there? But that, that yes, sorry. All about right, that, well, one out of two. He was the main man. He, he was the he was the. The, the red hat person. Yes. What was for lunch? I had a um, veal milanese. Ooh. Um, and I had you something had... called a fatina. I think it was called a fatina or fatini. It was like basically like a potato pancake, but made with chickpeas. I know it sounds oh. like an odd thing to order. And then there was like... Um... Sounds gassy. <laughs> yeah, it might be. I don't know yet. I'll report back next week. We're stuck in here. We're stuck in this hermetically sealed chamber with someone who's just had pulse surprise for lunch. And it was like uh, ratatouille with it. Oh, and um, it's, it's it's it actually reminded me of Slovak cooking. It's oh. very much like that. Yeah, kind of rustic and but cool and, and potatoey. And we had a, and we had a couple of pints, so one or both of us might have to interrupt this pod. Yes. At some stage, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and we can keep it short and sweet because there are meetings and grown-up things happening in about an hour and a half. And not much news. Uh, and there's not much news. <laughs> Thankfully, we've got fuck all to talk about. <laughs> so that'll make it easier. Um, so it's great. I mean, obviously, whenever we have lunch with someone um, over lunch, it's all just off the record. So we're not going to talk about what we chatted about. But I think we, you know, it coincided with us. Um, being our main segment last week, wasn't it? it Talking about the Red Hat Nokia thing. Yeah. So we've got some clarification on that. Some of the stuff that you're much stronger on than I am about getting in the weeds. All the Red Hat stuff is, to me, it's all so abstract and techy mm. that I, I just sometimes struggle to get my head around how it all works. You know, you're talking about layers and yeah. and c containers and and OpenStack and well, all I that. I don't think it's just you. No. Um, I mean, there was one thing that was said, this isn't giving anything away, is talking about how there's different clouds, but they're all joined together by one layer. And I thought of saying it, but I thought this was just, the moment didn't present itself. And I thought it would just be me. You know, it's like if, if you really know something about, if you know a lot about something and you're trying to explain it to a complete dunce, there can be a real gulf. But I thought, how can you have lots of clouds? I thought the whole point of the cloud conceptually is that 
Well, it'll physically reside in different data centers. The whole point of it is it's just this amorphous cloud. Well, I think he meant data. there's one like management layer across right. those three three clouds, but you should have asked that anyway because it would have been interesting to yeah. hear him try and because the, the, the trouble is that these envi- they get told it's a cloud environment, it's Red Hat's cloud environment, and yet you can also run it in AWS. So. Well, a lot of the terminology I, well, that's, doesn't help. That's one thing that that I think does come up when we talk about cloud. You know, and, and one of our favorite things is is whether you're just moving, you know, a degree of of excess, excessive vendor dependence from yeah, one place are, to another. Which is what you are doing. Um, and and the utopian, the ultimate view of the cloud should be something somewhere where absolutely everything is seamlessly interchangeable and yeah. and. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Where it works perfectly with each other. Yeah. Um, but that's not the fact. That's not how it works on the ground. That's why you have to have all these intermediate layers, don't you? Yeah. But it's but it's like using uh, Kubernetes, which is like an open source tool for sort of cloud management, really. Across those different those different environments, you know, you put it in AWS in its data centers, and you manage it on their infrastructure. Yeah. But you're using a lot of open stack like platform technology to do to do that really no wonder the people who know how to do this stuff get paid well because i i think that's probably another reason i didn't ask the question i was worried that he was going to patiently explain it to me and i was just going to sit there going right (laughs) (laughs) i think you should have asked yeah well anyway it's fine Uh, um we we still chatted about plenty of other stuff and went off on it's not like we were just going on about geekery the whole time we went off all sorts of fun tangents talking about things like freedom of speech it's funny how conversations i'm involved in end up gravitating towards that yeah um and that might come up in our, our first segment that we're going to chat we, we might we're only telegraphing a couple of segments because we've got little time and there isn't that much going on um we're going to talk about this this thing that the meta i.e facebook slash instagram there's a launch called threads which oh, is yeah 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 <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 he's no. piped up. No, no, I saw it. It's like a, it's like a Twitter. Um... Yeah, well, we're about to chat about it. So stop stealing my thunder. No, yeah, <laughs> I just have one thing to say about. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we can chat about that. You, you and, can take the lead on that. Which I expect Pierre to be it. a full participant in that <laughs> I conversation. There was one blowback about this. All right. Yeah. Well, that might come up. What is it? What's the what's the it's blowback? It's that you cannot uninstall it once you signed up without. Right. That was something we that Instagram. came up over lunch when we were talking about it. I, I actually don't know the yeah. the details of that. Yeah. I have installed it, so maybe I maybe I fuck so now. You. I mean, you, so you cannot you delete your profile without deleting your whole Instagram. So now. apparently, you can't use it in Europe either. We were told in the European Union. Yeah, the there, there is some. There's a GDPR so issue. If you go back to France, you'd be in deep trouble with threads, mate. Which well, just wouldn't happen. You just get a big sign saying no. No. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I thought in your general direction. <laughs> what, what, what would I think not be? Pense que non, or something like that. Huh? I would say, I think not. Je, but, I mean, je it doesn't crois, translate no, literally. We, we would say more like, I don't believe. Like We say like, je crois pas. Like, okay. well, I don't think so somehow, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, so we'll chat about that. And then Ian's been writing some more about um, Huawei and Germany and... And then other stuff that Huawei's up to, and it's and yeah. it's 5G-ness, because they've just had a mobile congress for Shanghai, which I don't think we wrote about at all. Yeah, well, we, we, um, we had Robert there, Robert Clark, right. uh, doing a bit of stuff, but then... Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt again. Robert Clark speaks very good Chinese. He does. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. that. That's why he's a useful freelancer to have in China. Yeah, no, he's like, a real... Between takes, he would, like, speak, like, full on. I was like, oh... Uh, I know, it's impressive, isn't it, yeah. when a when an English speaker just yeah. can go into a, such a different language like that. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Hence, no, he's, he's, hence one of the reasons for using him. No, he's yeah. a great Asia-Pac yeah. guy in general, isn't he? He is. 
So he, he was there for a bit, but there's some other stuff that's come out to do with them just basically sort of beating their chest about how good they are at 5G. Right, and you're, we're wondering. I'm sceptical. Okay, fair enough. So these are two things we could chat about. Um, before I talk about what else we've been up to this week, um, Pierre, you wanted to say something about... Yeah, so I don't know when. I think probably happened in the past couple of weeks, but we passed the big milestone, the round number of one million Listens of like in aggregate of all our that's yeah. not bad, is it? That's Hurrah good. for us. Yeah. Little old us three. Yeah. With lots of help of guests and and excellently Shout out to like Jamie, Jamie, yeah. Ray and all that. Yeah. yeah. Um Early days. Yeah. No, it's do you know what? I mean one another thing we we're chatting about over lunch, which I can say because it's got nothing to do with work. We were we were chatting about media. Yeah. And 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 that it came up in that's where the censorship concept came up because obviously you know, they were asking, I guess I guess it, some, sometimes it's interesting for people to pick journalists' brains about their attitudes towards media and, and, and you know, and should some, should we be, like, licensed and should we be somehow constrained to make sure we do proper journalism? To which my answer is, well, who fucking decides what proper journalism is? And I, I always go for, like, a bottom-up approach of market-driven approach because that's just my, how I'm hardwired. And I think who decides whether the journalism is good or not is the market. And if we write shit journalism, then no mm. one reads it. Mm. But I can see why for some people there's there's an appeal for a more top-down authority. But the mm. problem is, who do you vest that power in? Like, we're increasingly doing giving Ofcom that power, which I yeah. think is really dodgy. Yeah, um, they are, aren't they? Yeah. How did I get onto that? He was like, what was your point? <laughs> yeah. Do, by the way, do we know oh, yeah. who our millions listener is? And then we can send them, like, a free mug or something. Yeah, yeah no, that would be very hard. Send them a hazy Jane. <laughs> we could we could pretend and pick one. We should. Uh, we really, I think it's about time we started tapping up BrewDog maybe for some bribes. Should, maybe people should put their Like, the amount through. of free marketing you got off us. Well, actually, I can tell you, it might be someone, for some reason, from the city of Samson in Turkey. Uh, not, that, it may, just that's missing our, the G at the end, but it's right. Samson, yeah. And that's our what, of the week, of the month? Of the week. Samson right. as in Samson and Delilah, not Samsung. But UN, oh. whereas Samson was O-N, wasn't he? Uh, let me see yeah. where... Uh, it seems to be a beach beach town. So people people are checking out our pod while they're getting a tan. Cool. Full on, like, facing the Black Sea, yeah. Interesting. Oh, it's on that side. Halfway between oh. Istanbul and Georgia. Okay, More fair enough. enough. Well, thanks, Samson. Um, no, I said that's. I remember how I got on that tangent. Just podcasting in general. So one of the things we were talking about with with the media, um, I say one of the things that it, that kind of supports my bottom up approach, my market driven approach, is that this growth of independent media. Whether it's, you know, you could argue we're independent media, even though we're owned by a FTSE one hundred company. This is a standalone little podcast that we could just as easily have done if we were three freelancers, and it, the output would be pretty equivalent. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, yeah, and and that's what that's what keeps the journalistic world honest because we get people like Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Michael Schellenberger, whoever, Barry Weiss in the states doing well, and you get a few. You get some podcasts like in one I've listened to for years in the UK called um, Trigonometry. You, know, you you got these independent producers, and if the audience is the ultimate judge. And if the audience goes there, then that's it. Then mm. then that's the right way of doing it. You don't need a top-down yeah. adjudicator. What's funny is that, uh, sorry to finish the, the tangent, is the when the two merge together, like uh, Sky Sports has this thing called The Overlap, where they invite all the YouTube guys. I see. And they, so Gary Neville right. from Sky Sports, you know, the official guy. to some rando YouTuber. 
random. I mean, is it? Well, you've probably got a big audience. Yeah, yeah. Millions of views, and so they talk to each other, and it's interesting. Yeah. Gary Neville. Uh, yeah, is he interesting? I don't know. He's a bit of a gobshite. But like you know, but like, then you want people to be opinionated. I'm just saying, like the, the Sky people talking to the YouTube guys and yeah. meeting, doing a show out of it. It's interesting. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that's why podcasts. It's incredibly gratifying that we've got a total of a million views, and, and it, you know, it sometimes comes up. Um, so like before we get onto the main stuff we're going to talk about, we obviously said last week that we can go to Wimbledon. We did that yesterday. That was a great day out, wasn't it? Thanks it a lot, Vodafone, uh, and that was really cool. And I. Um, we managed to get centre court tickets, although I had to do a bit of begging to get my centre court ticket because it was like a, it was basically lucky dip when you turned up whether you got centre court or court one. But centre court is where there were two British men's games going on, so I wanted to see those, and um, and I eventually got that. and And I watched the first two sets of Brody, and it went to one set all. I thought, oh, this is going to go on for a while. I can I can nip back and and they had this they had this nice champagne so sort they, of on tap. He didn't want his centre court ticket after all. He's yeah, do you know what I mean? Vodafone lounge. Um, no, I went back intending <laughs> to did. just like see yeah, out. Scott was hungry to see out one set. Yeah, have a little nibble, have a couple of glasses of bubbly, and get myself you know nicely loosened up, and then go back and see off the end of the game. But then I got chatting to some Vodafone people, and before I knew it, the, the whole thing had been wrapped up, which is a shame. I, I do regret missing that because it looked like it was high drama, especially the last two totally, sets. Yeah, it was brilliant, man. Well, probably the fourth set was a big one fourth because set the, was the best, fifth I set think. turned into a bit of a procession. Yeah. I do, we, think, do we know if Foss's name got, well, uh, got, I read got an injury? I reports this morning, and there was no mention of, of Rude carrying an injury, but he was having a little bit of treatment at one stage. And I mean... I mean, they showed some of the fifth set highlights, actually. Um, maybe I'm not doing um, Liam Brody enough credit because the highlights that I watched on TV, he just looked really, really good. Yeah, I thought he looked good throughout. Uh, he's got he's got really strong ground strokes. He's got, big, he's got a big forehand. He's left-handed, which is always a bit of a help in tennis anyway. Right. And um, he's got he's pretty good at the net. He looked really good. I mean, the, the, you get a different perspective watching the TV highlights from what you saw. And I remember thinking, yeah, he looks good at live. But then you sort of watch it again on TV yeah, and yeah. thinking... Is he? And he, yeah, he looked brilliant. And our seat, our seats, yeah. we were, we were at ne well, we were, we we ended up sitting next to each other for the Murray one, but we were right near each other, and we were sort of on a diagonal. Yeah. So like at the French Open, we've been really spoiled. People listen to this going, "All right, shut the fuck up." I know you get some jollies. <laughs> uh, at the French Open, we were like on, right on the halfway line, weren't we? Yeah. And, and quite close to the yeah, court level. Four, this one, we were back. more elevated, and we we're kind of on the diagonal. So I feel like, uh, whereas the perspective you get when you watch it on telly is end on. It is. But then so I, I feel I've had all the perspectives now. Where we were, so I've been probably some more tennis matches than you've had. You have, and the worst one I've is had hot if dims. you're um, where we were, more or less, but really high up which I don't think you're in that much danger. I mean, if you're right at the back at centre court, I can imagine it feeling a bit like that, maybe. Mm. But if you go to, if you ever go to the O2, and they don't do the tennis anymore, but they used to have the ATP World yeah. Tour Finals there, and you're right up at the back, which I have been, you but you, you really can't see what's going right, on Right, you all. might as well not be there. I mean, you can you can see the players moving around, but the ball is just very, very small. You're almost watching it on a screen rather than... I had that um, at the O2 once when we went to an Iron Maiden gig. Right. And we were right up... Um, in the bleachers and the, the <laughs> acoustics were awful and you couldn't see yeah you know Bruce Dickinson was just a little and then it's man. like well why did I come almost? yeah why did I bother <laughs> why did I just drop 50 quid or whatever it was on this um but there we are um so yeah so so that was a cool day I had some I had some good chats so that time when you were watching um Brody I, I had some good chats with some Vodafone people again you know they, it wasn't on the record so I'm certainly not gonna say who I chatted to or any specifics but they were obviously interested to know how what we thought about the big M and A, the three to phone, yeah. as I call it. Yeah. Um and my my position was I think 
you know, there were lots of buying signals coming out of the government, especially, not so much regulators. So the two big regulators involved, the CMA, Competition Markets Authority, would be the ultimate green lighter. But you can bet they will get lots of input from Ofcom and I reckon lots of input maybe unofficially from the government. Yeah, they shouldn't be though, should they? They shouldn't, but I bet they do. Mm. And and I reckon I reckon the position... It, and one of the reasons I think the government taken a special interest in it is post-Brexit, especially certainly whilst we've got a Tory government, they, they're going to want to be... They're going to want to make political statements that we're, that we're moving forward with business, that, that we're... You know, half the point of um, not being part of the EU is that we can be more agile yeah. and be this fucking Singapore on Thames or whatever weird little cliches people used to use. We can be more agile. We can we can wave through, like, I think the VMO2 thing, once we left Europe, that got waved through pretty quickly. Um, whereas things do take a long time in Europe and they tend to be a little bit more cautious. So I would have thought politically they're going to want to seem to be being more aggressive, more business friendly. And I think allowing, and it's arguable whether this is business friendly in the broader context, but I think superficially it'll be viewed as a business friendly thing to let it go through. So I think there will be pressure on the CMA to do it. And so my, my answer was, I think they will make it go through. And I think the negotiation will be what the optimum mutually acceptable level of concessions the two have to make in terms of spectrum, in terms of um, commitments uh, and all that sort of thing. So that was my view. But then I was chatting to someone else. Again, I won't name them because it was all just us chatting. But I was chatting to an analyst that we know. And his position was that actually he thinks the CMA, he thinks they're going to have to demonstrate to the CMA that one or both of them will go bust if they don't let this thing go through eventually. Mm. And and I thought, okay, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But then I mentioned that to you, and you weren't so convinced because that's not supposed I, to I, be the purview of the CMA. I, I, is I mean, whether I don't or not know go bust, is enough it? about, to be honest with you, what these these particular organisations do to really know if they'd look at something in that way. But I'd be a bit surprised in a way if they would, because that they they have a specific job to do, which is to look at whether a, a merger is damaging to competition. Hence yeah. the name of the hence the name of the thing. Yeah, they they they're not supposed to think about things like job losses, for instance. Even I don't no. think that's very much a political consideration. Is whether jobs will go. I mean, I don't know if it's a bit different in the states because I know there was a lot of uh, lobbying that went on around the T-Mobile Sprint deal yeah. about how it and would create jobs and it wouldn't actually. But I think again, that was a political thing. I don't think it's the way that a competition regulator no, it should exist in a vacuum. Things. And you made the really it, good point of pointing out that um, Activision Blizzard thing, yeah, where the CMA blocked it in in a way that was probably quite politically contentious. It, I, I would imagine it was because, and then there was, I mean, Microsoft was obviously very unhappy about it and I think it even came out Activision with even more so. It was Activision, Activision that was really throwing its toys out of the and, and both of them sort of saying the UK is not obviously not a good place to do business. Yeah. We won't be doing work there again. Moan. We'll be in, uh, investing Sog. in facilities elsewhere. Yeah, they're like yeah. stroppy little kids really sort of yeah. stepping their feet and crying and and um, obviously the, I think from a government perspective you probably think feel that people like Rishi Sunak's you know, got clenched buttocks and he's thinking, oh shit, what's the CMA just done? I'm trying to think about his buttocks. Um, whereas the, yeah. from a regulatory perspective, the, the, they just, I, I just kind of feel these these institutions like the CMA sometimes do things that the politicians aren't that happy about. Yeah. And they, they have their wonks working on this stuff, doing their spreadsheets and going, here's the result, it shouldn't happen because we've, here's, look yeah. at this number here. And they've got to be, and the politicians have got to be very, very careful about applying pressure to them because if that gets made public, then that's a fuck up because they're supposed to be independent. Yeah, and I think the other point um, about the analysts commenting on the, um, you know, them proving that it will go out of business, I think would 
if that's what they've got to show, I think that's going to be a pretty tough thing for them to demonstrate because I know they're, I know they're coming out with this argument at the moment that's been circulating and you know comes up all the time whenever this merger is discussed that um, telcos returns are sort of below the cost of capital. And yeah. If it carries on, then there's not not an incentive. And to they were again being being discreet, but I, I yeah. got some vibes from some Vodafone people that that, that we'd be surprised at the once once you get to the bottom line the sort of margins that they managed to eke out. Right. How small they are. Yeah, well, okay, but there's quite a long jump from that that sort of situation to going out of business. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's all sorts of, of ways you can address a problem with cost of capital. It doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean if, if that's the situation that you're immediately out of business. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you, you could just, like 30 years yeah, you could just say these companies have not been very well managed and there's other things they can do. And, um, mm. the, uh, you know, there's another argument that's go, that goes round that, I mean, I know I used to know somebody who was sort of involved in the CMA and I remember sort of chatting to him uh, in pubs about the O2 um, three deal that got shot down by the European Commission, but the CMA I think was very much in agreement. And he sort of, I remember talking to him and sort of saying, pretty much coming out with this argument, trying to defend the telco's point of view that you can't have too many networks because it becomes hard for them to make a return. Yeah. And you'd, you, all right, you don't want to. Make there is obviously an optimal level. There's an optimal level, and he sort of his view was. I mean, he's very much on the press side, but he kind of scoffed when I said that at this notion that you could possibly have too much competition. And there is, I know there's a, a, a it becomes quite philosophical, but I know there's a view that if you reduce competition then companies maybe have less incentive to yeah. invest and, and well, things I mean, we know a monopoly's bad for we that know a monopoly's reason. bad and and you know they're looking at it partly from a consumer perspective you know that i mean it'd be i mean politically it's awkward um in a way it might be more awkward to let it go through than it would be to um, allow mm. it because or on the one hand you show yourself to be open for business but I don't think the general man on the street who's not involved in the telco sector looks at that things things that way he looks at it oh uh, this big merge has happened that's more bloody job losses isn't it mm. in a in a climate where they're already talking about AI yeah, and, all, and all those cost savings won't end yeah. up going on lower bills they'll just go to dividends yeah, right or whatever. And, and let's just let's remember Pay these companies more likely. Have just have just uh, jacked up their fees that they charge quite dramatically, all by the way, doing it, applying exactly the same formula to do it, which I think is very, very cartelly. genius. Yeah. That was never, I don't think, very well looked at by regulators, that one, this this inflation plus 3.9% thing that they all seem to have settled on, every single one of them. Um, so I, I think politically it's awkward to allow it in a way. Although maybe, to... maybe that coincidence is a product of regulation. Maybe they that's what Ofcom said you, your ceiling is. Inflation plus three point nine percent, so they all went for the ceiling. Well, they've not, if, they, if that's the case, they've not said that, right? But um, not that I'm aware of, anyway. Okay. So, and it's been quite controversial in the but, press. You know, but the thing about telecoms is because it's so heavily regulated, and because the barriers to entry are so high, it isn't a pure market at all. It is a very artificial, very manipulated, constrained market. Yeah. So I suppose all I'm saying is, while it does seem superficially cartelly, there might be reasons why things that seem cartelly happen in a mar in a market that is so m sort of manipulated. Yeah, maybe for sure. But I just think it's. I think on the political side, there's there's things that are on both sides of the of the case that are awkward. Yeah. And um, well, one other thing I'll say. Sorry, carry on. Uh, no, it's probably all right. One other thing I'll say, um, perhaps indirectly in favour of of this analyst who's, who said they got to prove they're going to go bust, is I suppose they could say indirectly if we go bust, then that will reduce competition. 
So maybe that's where the, the competitive angle comes in. Yeah. But that's a bit of a, it's an even bigger leap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still, I still reckon it'll go through. I think, I know it's combining two um, MNOs, which we haven't done before, but they let BT by EE, they let um, Virgin Media and O2 merge. Yeah. I think, I think it makes sense to have a third really strong player I think three is probably enough. You know, we always argue about the ma- magic number. Yeah. I reckon, yeah, monopoly definitely bad, duopoly almost certainly bad, triopoly, if that's a word, I think could still function in a competitive way, especially in such a heavily regulated do, do, environment. Do you know what I think one of the problems with it is? That I, that I, I don't necessarily think it's all, all to do with, with being pro-business, this deal. I think there's this perception at the moment because 5G's become such a big issue um, and everybody's like, oh, you need 5G to have, you know, to have a strong economy because it's so central to economic performance in the future. We've been heard this argument for a long time. And look at China. They've got like millions of masts and they're already rolling out something that's almost 6G. And, you know, look at the US where they've made all these investments and they only have three big operators. And yet we've, we're stuck with four. Mm. I think there's this, polit- the politicians might think that um, if they are putting pressure on the CMA, that if you go down to three and you create these three big mega companies, even though they're not really going to be mega companies on the yeah. scale of a China mobile, obviously, that you create a, 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 an environment where those three companies can can do pretty much what T-Mobile US has done or what China Mobile has done and roll mm. out 5G more aggressively and, yeah. and have this... So do you think the move in the that, States has actually been bad? Allowing well, the T-Mobile for a start, sprint. I, I, I think some of those arguments need to be looked at in, uh, in careful scrutiny anyway, for a start. So I'm not com- completely convinced by this argument that the US is way ahead on 5G and everything, mm. you know, and that they've made investments and that the, 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 the European operators haven't and there's much more mid-band coverage, blah de blah blah which is very much a thing that Ericsson comes out with. I'm not completely convinced by that. I think if you look at you look at the number of mast sites, for instance, in the US that someone like T-Mobile has, and you compare it to a country like China, both very big countries geographically, obviously, and in terms of population, it's far, 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 far less in the US than it is in right. China. And yet they have the same number of operators. Yeah. And one, by the way, has uh, generates a lot of ARPU. Spending's very, very high in the US, and it's not uh, at yeah. the same level in China. Now, I think what, what, what one of the reasons for, that it's happened in China is very much to do with government directives. It's like why is everybody? Why is all the NBIOT and CatM subscriptions concentrated in China right. rather than other parts of the world? Didn't know they were. It's because the government has said you need to roll out NBIOT and yeah. CatM because we need to give those technologies a boost and give the companies developing them a boost, and we need to have IoT and we need to have infrastructure in place that allows us to spy on people and etc etc and you need to buy all your stuff from Huawei by the way and don't get any of it from Ericsson I mean we're never going to have a situation like that in the UK just because we've got three operators Yeah. so the rationale needs to be looked at quite carefully for do if they think they're going to create conditions like they have in China where the three operators become public clouds because they're almost doing that at the moment they're setting themselves up as cloud companies as well as investing in AI and doing all sorts of other things that you see some of the Asian operators do that you don't, doesn't happen in Europe. I personally don't think that'll happen. I think they could be heading for a big disappointment if this deal goes through. Because one thing they might be expecting is let's let it go ahead 
And then let's look at this wave of 5G investment that happens. And all of a sudden, they become these ridiculously healthy companies and we get 100% 5G coverage. Mm. And you can go to the Scottish Highlands and get a 5G signal. I think that's absolute bullshit. I could see this going through. And what happens is nothing, very much. I see. Companies, companies' margins improve a bit. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a small improvement. Uh, maybe prices go up a bit. I, I could I could see there's a real risk that not a lot changes in terms of I think of my fifty quid's worth of Vodafone shares will go up at all. I mean, I I tell you one thing that won't happen is that this is going to improve the investment profile of any of those companies. Right. It might do in the run up to it, you know, the way that the way that happens. But long term looking at telcos and their mm. fortunes, I yeah, don't see no, this you're, you're probably right. It all feels like a sticking plaster thing. You know, just like I think this um, might be something else that came up over lunch, you know, you, or maybe it was, no, maybe it was conversations I had yesterday, they all merge into one for me, especially the amount of bubbly I got through yesterday. Um, <laughs> chill, I, maybe I never, that merge will come out with like I never felt that pissed. I must, have, I must have drunk like over the course of the day a couple I of I didn't feel very good when we were watching the Murray Sitter Pass match. Yeah, I was still all right. I felt a bit sick at one point <laughs> almost, like I was going to actually vomit on the person oh, in front of me. Very Wimbledon yeah, gentleman. Right. All right. Because, because it wasn't just the alcohol, it was it being quite stuffed. Yeah, yeah. Breathing there very they closed, well. They and, closed the roof yeah. before it started. It wasn't and ideal. Then, uh, I almost had to sort of get up to, to sort of go and get a few gulps of air, but the tennis was so good I didn't want mm. to miss anything. So I, but anyway, I think a conversation I had just how... You know, operators they've 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 kept doing this thing of like selling the family silver, you know, selling selling buildings and leasing them back, selling um, passive infrastructure and leasing it back, uh, and all that sort of thing. And you just and I do bet all that continues after a day. Yeah, well, you do feel that they just keep salami slicing, and it just feels like firefighting. Yeah, none of it's a solution. It's just a more short-term cash flow um, thing. Here's the other one. Are they going to stop wind? So apparently one of the reasons why they're moaning about um, big tech at the moment and fair contribution is because they don't cover their cost of capital because yeah. of all those nasty big tech players using all that data traffic on their networks and, and driving up costs for them horribly. And, and they have to pay, they have to make all these investments and therefore they're not making a return on on. On, on the investments, and it's also so, unfair. And it's also unfair. So if this deal, deal, the rationale for this deal is it, it will address that problem, right? So does that mean they stop whinging about fair contribution if the problem goes away with this deal? Well, probably not. But then the fair contribution, funnily enough, doesn't really apply to us, does it? It's an EU thing. Uh, but the e, the UK operators are also yeah, and obviously Vodafone is a, Vodafone, a pan-European pan operator, up and, and the U, yeah. UK operators might have a slightly different. But this deal on itself it. is a UK deal. It's really. a UK deal, I know. But all I'm saying is that the um, the UK companies, most of which, by the way, are European companies. No, the most most, most of, of them are European, have European assets. They're part of European groups. Yeah, it's only BT that isn't really. No? Yeah. So you've got, yeah, yeah. Tele you've got Telefonica, Telefonica Orange, Liberty Global in one. Yeah, yeah. You've got three. Oh, I see. You're talking you've got about the potentially UK three and Vodafone in the other. They're basically yeah. pan-European groups, aren't yep. they, really? Three's in Italy. It's, where else? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Probably not as many as it used to right. be, but um, Austria, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Hutchinson, CK Hutchinson seems to have lost its appetite for UK telcos. But, I'd, I mean, and BT, I know, also has a position on... Um, fair contribution i mean it's it's more nuanced i think and actually more sensible in a lot of ways i think than the stuff that you hear from the the big telco groups um but but the point is that the the, the bits that vodafone and three belong to and certainly vodafone group is making this argument about fair contribution and they're one of the they're the big player in this merger they're the, they're going to be the majority yeah. owner so do they does that shut them up about this or do they still carry on moaning about that afterwards because 
if the argument is that we're not making a return because of um, traffic generated by a few big content providers, well, if they are making a return after the deal, then mm. what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, those are all, those are all good points. I, I, I think I personally, my gut feeling is, I'd like it to go through. I'd, I'd like there to be three. I don't want it to go through. Players. You don't want it to go through. I mean, we'll as, an, to as, fight an, about as an industry journalist, in yeah. a way, I'd like it to go through because it's, it's fun. Isn't it? <laughs> as a consumer, I don't want it to go through. Why? You think it'll be? You who... think consumers will be worse off for the? So, well, uh, as I say, I, I, I mean, the the argument is the argument that the operators try to come out with, and they justify mergers, and people go, oh, well, mergers reduce competition, don't they? And they lead to higher prices. What they tend to say is. Um, well, actually, it creates a stronger player that's more sustainable in the long term. Yeah. And if you carry on with a four-player market, then ultimately there's going to be a failure and we'll all be worse off anyway. That's the sort of thing they say, more or less, or variations of that. The, the, the trouble is, to my point about do we, do we think that they're going to become like the Chinese operators running around and investing in standalone really quickly and launching cloud services and you know and doing yeah. all this stuff? I, I'm really, really dubious that happens, to be honest with you. I could see us ending up with... So for a start, there's going to be concessions attached. You've just been talking about that. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't think those concessions are going to be very light because I don't think they get away with just allowing a deal to go through like Boya Echo of Ericsson once where they don't do anything at all. Yeah, and they just, just go, let them get on with get it. On with it. Because for a start, you'd end up with one operator with a huge amount of spectrum holdings for a start. It'd have about half the spectrum in the market um, would be in one company's hands with the other two having a quarter each. So in, in, in There are definitely spectrum issues. You did, you, did, you did a piece looking did. into it, didn't you? Yeah. And I think someone else... God, I can't remember. Was it on... I think someone piped up on Twitter and there was quite a good chart. And I can't remember who'd done the chart. It might have even been Omdia that me. did the chart. No, no, someone else. Definitely not Omdia. It's all you. <laughs> but, but you know, someone, I'm sure you have done this. I'm sure you keep uh, um, a record of, of what Spectrum Holdings everyone has. Yeah. But the combined Spectrum Holdings of Vodafone and 3, I think, is especially strong in mid-band. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's 49% overall of what of the whole Spectrum. So all Spectrum. Of all the Spectrum that's been licensed to two telecom operators, according right. to Ofcom, which I looked they at, got half of they it. would have half after right. the deal goes through. And as you say, they'd be especially strong in mid-band. And therefore, it'd be, it'd be, I think it'd be higher in that. I can't remember. But it's uh, overall, it's about 49%. So let's say half. Um, I mean, that in, that in itself needs addressing, I would think, really. I don't see how you could sort of justify allowing that to just sort of um, remain. And... Um, there's all sorts of other things that need sorting out, actually, if the deal goes through to do with which vendors they're using and, you know, even some of the stuff that we were chatting about mm. earlier on. But uh, Yeah, and there's the that was another thing that came up. So this is definitely our first segment now. I yeah, said we're only going to do two segments. This is definitely <laughs> segment number one, um, uh, which I'll just do three to phone again. I think the only reason I, I didn't want to do it is because we've done three to phone but we've, twice but in we've, recent we've, pods. But we've got a different perspective. But, yeah, and it's relevant. So, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, is the network sharing. So um, I think it is 3 and EE um, share um, and O2 and Vodafone do some network sharing. And so that's basically where, like, the passive infrastructure, and I think to some it's degree active. the active. Yeah, it's it's active. active. It is yeah. the active. So basically there's only two actual networks, really. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then they, and then when you get into BSS or whatever, they 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 treat their customers different way. But in terms of the actual yeah. kit by the side of the road that you see on the towers, there's only two in operation. And so, how do we reconcile that when you end up with three? And, and I think one thing I got from my conversations yesterday is the most likely solution is a, 
apparently the EE and three, you know, and bear in mind the context, and I'm not saying who said this, I'm not even saying it's a Vodafone person, but that was the context in which I heard this, that the, the relationship between EE and three for their network sharing can be a bit fractious. Yeah. Take that with a pinch of salt, maybe, but it may also be true. Um, and so a more natural thing would be ultimately for three to just go, fuck it, you, you, you have that network, and then three to phone to just go with O2. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what the pros and cons of having one network that's shared and one not shared would be. Um, obviously, there must be reasons why sharing a network's good, presumably in terms of splitting the cost of, of, of yeah. the infrastructure. I mean, B, yeah, BT's going to expect something if it's... Yeah, it's... I, I don't know how it would react to that, that we're just pulling, that we're just withdrawing from this yeah. obligation. Well, there will be legal shit. Yeah, because I think the way those network sharing agreements tend to work is that one company sort of looks after one bit of the country and another company looks after another in terms of the equipment that you put up, yeah. but you both use right. it. So if you just suddenly go, well, we're we're getting you out of this and joining the other BT one, BT will be moaning I would imagine yeah. that, that, that it's not going to necessarily go down well or be easy to resolve. And I don't know how, it's quite complicated trying to think about how that could play out. But I get the I get the logic of what the pers- of yeah. what this person was saying, it's for sure. That's probably actually the easiest way to you yeah. think about it resolving itself. Um, and obviously this is the kind of thing I would think. This is This to me would be the sort of thing I would imagine the CMA is having to look at. Not is one of them going to get out of business? It's things like that, really. Yeah. Im- impact on competition across the Well, there's a lot strata, they're going to have to think but, about, and it's going to take a long time. Um, I and mean, I was saying yesterday that I think they, you know, I'm not just saying this because he's our overall boss, but I think I think they they did a great move persuading Stephen Carter to come on their board. Yeah. Because, you know, he's the, you know, as I've said before, he's the CEO of Informer, which owns both Light Reading and Telecoms.com. I've stopped giving you your shout out. I did that a couple of weeks and now I've just forgotten. And I didn't do the, if you're listening to it, all that. Oh, what, what company does Pierre belong to these days? Well, we're quite. quite sure. Well, really. he's, he's owned by Informer as well, he's but we don't know what his company is. Pierre of Pierre. Com- he's Pierre, he's Pierre from, you're, I'm Scott from Telecoms.com. You're Ian from Light Reading. He's Pierre from France, isn't it? That's, the, that's it, yeah. That's the joke. The yeah. attempt at a joke. The mild xenophobia that that we like to do on this podcast. Um, but, yeah, so Stephen Carter's our CEO, so he's like, you know, the executive in charge, but he's on the board of Vodafone, and that only happened about a year ago, I think. And, you know, not only, you know, Informer's an acquisitive company, as Light Reading is yep. just one example of. Well, much much bigger ones. Than yeah, there are bigger how, ones, like UBM. and yeah. So he, he, knows, he knows how to do mega M&A. Yeah. Uh, he's also a member of the establishment. He's a lord. He's Lord Carter of Barnes. Yeah. And he was ennobled by Gordon Brown when he was um, a quite a senior member of his cabinet advising on business and, and bits and bobs. And I think he sort of had to make him a lord because he wasn't he wasn't elected. That's it. So how could he poke his nose into politics when he's not got no electoral mandate? So he went, fuck it, make him a lord. Yeah. Give him a top hat <laughs> and some tails. And a cane. He's obviously quite well connected because because uh, of um, various names that turn up in association with him all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, was, this is what I was leading up to. Yeah. As a as a member of the establishment, um, I don't think you could do much better. So he's good at M and A. He's an accomplished senior business person. He's really strong on telecoms because he was at Alcatel Lucent back in the day and at Ofcom back yeah. in the day, and and he's. And he's a card-carrying member of the establishment. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better CV to help them navigate what will be a really tricky path. Yeah, I think we be- we better wrap it up there because we've got like less than an hour left, and we haven't got into the two things that we said we we're going to chat about. So um, I am going to get onto Threads. So people probably heard of Threads. Um, it was launched this week, and it is 
basically very similar to Twitter. Um, but it's owned by... A little bit too similar to Twitter. Well, quite. It? Certainly too similar for Elon Musk liking. Um, uh, but it's created by Meta, which formerly known as Facebook, which owns Facebook and Instagram. And I wrote it up quite quickly because I had to leave the house quite early today because we had this lunch with Red Hat. I basically turned the story around in about an hour and a half. Um, but, you know, you, you be the judge. Have a read of that and think, well, it's not... It's not going to win any Pulitzer Prizes, but for for an hour and a half, I don't think it's a bad effort. Um, and and part of, in order to sort of re- whatever superficial research I did for the story included um, downloading and, and using the app. And yeah, the user experience is very Twitter-like. I mean, I suppose if you're going to come up with what they call a micro-blogging thing, i.e. one of these... It's what what's novel about Twitter, and there are other things like it, like... Um, Telegram, which is popular in Russia. There's Gab. There's a few other things. They're all going to have a similar format because the whole point is that you follow people and you see these threads appropriately enough or streams or or whatever of, of dialogue they do and then people responding to it. And it, it's, it's, it's hard to think of a better format for having live, electronic, real-time discussions than the Twitter format. So I suppose if you come up with something that's going to rival Twitter, <laughs> it's going to end up being a bit like it. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. Mm. So uh, Pierre's just showing me about them getting sued, mm. um, uh, and and so th- and so they've come out with it, and then th- further to what Pierre was just showing me the headline for. There's 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 a new this this comes back to our our conversation about independent media versus established media. There's a new media site called Semaphore that was created in part by a bloke called Ben Smith, who I've heard on a few podcasts, and he used to be New York Times, he used to be BuzzFeed. He's quite a you know, established American hack. And uh, and I stress to everyone when I say hack, I mean it in, in a sort of affectionate way. It's just slang for journalists, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, rather than saying he's shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's just created a new site called Semaphore. And lo and behold, they, they're getting a couple of scoops. There was another scoop today, which we didn't get around to covering. He's, he, they got another scoop about Dish and Echo Star merging into one. I think they're both owned by the same dude. Ah, um, Jürgen. Yeah, so check that one out because that's a, that's an easy bit of journalism. If anyone's looking, well, for... Mike will be on that. Yeah, I even probably. have written something about it, but nobody noticed before. Probably has. Should we see? Should we he's, see? If he's there's... probably he's probably covered that about a week ago. Something. <laughs> well, no, this was dish is Mike's middle name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Mike, Mike the dish, Dano. Um, no, he's he's put up something about Apple gives the private wireless five G industry a helping hand, but that was oh yeah, that was today. No, maybe I'll get around to it. He wrote that yesterday, but it's gone up today. Right. So he might, yeah. He might be working on that now. He's probably looking at the dish. Might work on that as we speak. Um, So anyway, Semaphore got this this scoop. I mean, it was one of those scoops that was obviously gifted to them because Elon Musk obviously told his lawyers to send the scoop, uh, send Semaphore a copy of this letter. What's up? Your, Your watch is freaking me out. Because of the second hand, yeah, it's because I need a new battery. It only goes in, in chunks of five seconds. Sorry, that's a yeah. distraction my, from your My watch needs a new battery. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, look, we just got an email from Amy Elston, who's a friend of the pod, um, a friend of ours, saying thanks for that. She was the red hat person who arranged the lunch. Cheers, Amy. Shout out. Have I, have I ever said on the pod what an amazing drummer Amy is? I don't I went think to a have. gig. Yeah, I went to a gig... Um, and she's in a band with someone who used to work at telecoms.com way back in the day before my time called Sean Jackson. Yeah, I did. I mentioned them on the pod. <laughs> I remember because Sean, Sean flagged it up on Twitter because I couldn't remember where he works. And I thought, is he still at Axicom? Turns out he left there six years ago. 
Um, and I gave Amy a shout out then because I'd seen her at a gig. But then I went and saw subsequently her and Shauna in a band and she just learned the drums. She only been doing it about six months and she was really good. Yeah. Fair play to her. I'd like to see her. Yeah. So, I wanted to make that, but I, I couldn't, unfortunately. So she's good at drumming and lunch and many other things. <laughs> um, semaphore. Semaphore, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they got this, um, they got hold of this letter um, The Elon Musk, and, and I, I've actually, I'll link to it, I'll open it up. The Elon Musk lawyers, who are called Quinn Emanuel, um, sent to Mark Zuckerberg, re-threads, dear Mr. Zuckerberg, I write on behalf of X Corp, a successor in interest of Twitter, based on recent reports regarding your recently launched, in scare quotes, Threads app. Twitter has serious concerns that Meta Platforms has engaged in systematic, willful and un unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property. And he goes on to say... Look, I, I don't know if, if people are aware, but when, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, pretty soon after, he just let loads of people go. Yeah. He either sacked them or he just went, look... Has it gone down even more since then, do you think, though? That I initial think it, round that got recorded I think, on I think the headcount now is like a quarter of what it was when right. he bought it. And he, he, either, he either let people go directly, like there was this one very compromised like he, legal head who was obviously... Or seem to be. I better careful. Better be careful when I'm talking about legal people. Seem to be um, working as much for the FBI or whoever as he was for Twitter. Um, that's all in my Twitter files coverage. If you want to check that out. Um, but to a lot of people, he just went, "Look, there's a new sheriff in town. If you don't like it, fuck off." Yeah. Was basically the long and short of what he said. And lots of people went, "Well, I think we'll fuck off then," because Musk's a very polarizing figure. Mm -hmm. You know, he some is. people like came up over lunch. Some people just don't like his vibe, which is fair enough because he's, you know. He does come out with some random shit sometimes. Yeah, um, I'm 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 a fan. I think I just get that sort of trollish, but, but, fucking with people tendency he has. I kind of relate. But to I it. think it's more than that. I, I don't think it's just his personality and the way he sort of rubs people up the wrong way. I think there's a there's a more sort of philosophical thing going on there about his whole style. I agree. On, on free speech because yeah. this, this came up at dinner as at lunch. Yeah, dinner censorship and all that. Dinner in the northern sense. Uh, <laughs> Tea. <laughs> um, yeah, the, like he's he's obviously much more on that that spectrum we were talking about, where you go to one extreme and it's all rigidly controlled by yeah. someone like the Russian government, yeah. and then at the op opposite end, it's like Total, free for all, free for all, a bit anarchic almost, laissez faire even, Pierre. Mm. Yeah, that's a better word. And uh, <laughs> and therefore, what do you do about it? Because you, you probably both extremes are not ideal. Yeah. You don't want you don't want it to be the, to the extent where you can sort of say, let's go and bomb Pierre's house. Cause yeah, well, that's what I always. Off. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 I think uh, there's 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 actual law. Yeah. There's actual law about incitement to violence and, and certain other constraints on speech. Yeah. And I and I'm I'm happy I would like all the internet, all social media to be constrained only by law and no and not an extra layer of subjective censorship. And But then it's where you plant that legal flagpole, I suppose. And he's obviously much more towards the end of it being yeah, he's, let's let's pretty much let most things go. Except and, for national law. I mean yeah. he is still constrained yeah. by national law. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, but you're right. That is another reason that, that Musk a polarizing figure because the, you know, a block of people, I, I, I hate to use words like left and right, but in the broad tribal sense, you know, leftists, Democrats in the States or whatever, they, they seem to be a bit more pro censorship these days. And I think, I think they're basically more pro the state more, more, um, I think, I think as a, personality type people who incline towards leftism tend to be a bit more collectivist yeah. and people inclined towards rightism like me tend to be a bit more individualist which I am so I think that sort of loosely scans but it's a very broad generalisation 
And, and, and these collectivists uh, have become quite pro-state, whereas the Labour movement, like 100 years ago, was collectivist, but hostile to the state and hostile to the establishment because it was supposed to be on behalf of the industrial working class who were getting fucked over by the establishment. Yeah. So it's possible to be collective, collectivist and hostile to the establishment, but I think it, it's gone full circle and they're, not, they're quite pro the state now. And, and they just think... Um, they just think people like Musk, people like Elon, like Donald Trump, um, just other nutters who say random stuff should be censored. Yeah. And they think the state, they seem to be quite in favour of the state having control over the public conversation, which I'm not. So yes, that that is another thing that, that is polarising about um, Musk. But anyway, he so he got rid of all these people. And that's another thing he did. I mean, he would have pissed off a lot of Silicon Valley by being so um, bull in the china shop when he took over. But another thing about Musk is he's got... You know, he's juggling a million balls at once. The blokes just bought Twitter on top of running the, the most successful car company in the world and a fucking well, rocket company. But do you know what I think is really sad about all of this is is that his whole thing seems to now have become about Twitter. And well, we don't know how he apportions his time. No, I don't. No, I don't. But certainly from a press perspective, yeah. And and the perception is that he is Twitter. He's Mr. Twitter now. He's the latest. Thing. And and he's and you know he's an on. Let's take all of that out of it. And he's an entrepreneur. He's obviously a smart guy because you don't yeah. start things off like the things he has without so even people who hate him don't question yeah. how smart he is. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he's done things that are like really, really, like really interesting, like innovations have come from from Musk in all sorts of areas, not to do with social media, which I think, yeah. I mean, to me, social media is like such a, I can't stand it. I really can't. Yeah. Well, like, you don't really use it, do you? I don't use it. And, and, I, and, I, and I find it like um, uh, it's one of those horrible distractions. Oh, it's a horrible time hog. Um, I mean, I don't use. Hog, not very useful. Like, I don't use um, Instagram. My wife's sometimes going, Jesus Christ, I've got to stop using Instagram because it's one of those things where you get onto it. But by all accounts, I don't use TikTok. Apparently, TikTok's even worse because the algorithm's so effective at saying, if you like that, then you might like this. Yeah, but it's but this whole you just conversation. I've never touched it. Yeah, about these two, these two tech billionaires one of whom went to MIT and the other one uh, didn't but he's yeah. like incredibly amazingly talented guy who were who could invent things that you know they, they could come up with cures for diseases probably if they right. put their minds to it and uh, the whole mission about going to Mars is just you fascinating just think this is all frivolous about. and they're doing stuff it's like putting two billionaires on Love Island or something or you know, getting two billionaires to have a case well, for getting it. Well, getting to have a case for it. He'd do something like that. <laughs> How ridiculous would that be if something yeah. like that happened? No one even I mean, consider it. would be mad. It. Well, Zuckerberg is handy at jiu-jitsu. Well, he's like Black Belt, uh, BJJ, no, as no. Russell Brown calls it. He's not Black Belt. Isn't he, he got his blue belt apparently earlier this year. Uh, BJJ stands for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, not something more rude in case you want. I don't know what I don't know what the belt things are. Right. He's got blue or purple. But he's quite handy anyway. Blue is second... Yeah. Look, is... Well, he's he's also about fifteen years younger than Musk. Yeah, so. yeah. and and um, leader. Well, Musk has like thirty yeah. pounds on him. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think Musk. Well, his thing is to lean on people. Yeah, he's, on he people. said that. He said yeah. a tweet that he's got this move that just involves lying on someone. Yeah. You see, that's... that was uh, when uh, sorry, we were talking about MMA, but Nganu against uh, Stipe, the first fight. Right. Stipe basically Mio just Mio le lean on him. <laughs> right. And then he tired him, even though he was well, much smaller. Talking about like like UFC, um, I saw one tweet from Elon Musk where he was getting traded by George St Pierre, who's who's like one of the best ever. Yeah. Um, and I think there was um, the guy who trains. Is he actually? No. Well, he, there was a photo of them together. <laughs> to what extent he was being trained up by him, I don't know. That's there was hilarious. a photo of them, them together with George St Pierre, um, uh, Danaher, I think is his name, the guy who trains Conor McGregor. 
The Irish, Irish guy, guy. Yeah. yeah. And then there was um, Lex Friedman, who's apparently quite handy at... But he's mainly a podcast. Well, he he rolled with Zuckerberg. Yeah, there There's a video of it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So anyway, fuck it. I mean, it's just a weird little world. It's never going to go down these. I and mean, you're right. You're right. Um, Ian, it is frivolous. I mean, there are some of us who, perhaps me more than you, kind of enjoy that frivolity. But then I think I'm a bit more like that. You know, I just talk shit and I... I can relate to people who just like to keep I'm, things silly. I mean, I like the I like the to and fro and the yeah. and the arguments they're having and 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 you know is our platform better than yours? Have you nicked people? But, yeah. The, but the but for it to be all about this end product that is, as you say, incredibly frivolous and yeah. You know, I mean, the thing that I find funny is like when Twitter first came around, people used to get people used to really sort of be quite um, uh, critical, scathing about it. Really, you know, it's like oh, this thing that you people are tweeting that they've just taken a shit, or <laughs> I just got out of a lift in a really. Tall well, the cliche building. always used go, to be breakfast. Photos. You know, here's what I ate for breakfast, and yeah, yeah. it still get, gets used for a lot of that stuff. And I know it's moved on from that, and you you have people using it as a platform to news it's oversharing. Or, but like who cares lot, about you? There's a lot you. of oversharing on it, and and, and most actually ninety five percent of what is on there is just utter rubbish, really. Yeah, yeah. Still, and it's uh, and then and then the the other thing that's nasty about it, going back to the free speech thing, and is that it's all become, um, you know, it, it just brings seems to bring out the worst in people. You know, I agree. It's, like it's I'm not, not an active user of Twitter at all for two main reasons. One. I, th- I agree with you. It's a foul place. Yeah. And if you try and make put forward a, a good faith but contentious point of view, like, you know, I don't know, like this week we've, been, we've all been venerating the NHS because it's 75 years old. They even had a church service for it, yeah. which is quite fucking bizarre if you ask me. And and then you've got something like, I noticed... That, that, that useless service. Well, there we go. But I noticed, <laughs> it's like, you know, we both know... Hey, when I broke my toe last week, no, I, no, I, I mean, yeah, I've had it's it. hidden. Back it's, off. I, I've had an NHS treatment in the last no, few no. years. It's well, exactly. It's not, it's it's not, not useless. useless. But it, it's, yeah. it has its challenges. Yeah. Uh, I just... No, I take, I take that back. I think it's just over <laughs> it's overvenerated. It's it's become a religious institution and it seems that's why it's so appropriate they had a fucking service in Western I mean you Serbia should be able to criticize the NHS. So that's it. Yeah. And if I if I went to uh, I've noticed this happened a, a, a journalist we both know and I think we both like called Kate Andrews who writes for the Spectator. I think she's put some stuff up that's quite skeptical about the NHS and then everyone's been piling into her on Twitter. How There's just you? so much yeah. bad faith yeah. stuff and ad hominems and just you know I mean I had a whole I had a whole thing in my book about the techniques that people use on social media that are bad faith. Yeah, um, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got, I basically created a website called Virtu, which is, which is just a site that teaches you, like the cheats, how to, how to win at the internet, basically. Yeah. Anyway, enough soft promotion. And, and I'm sure, um, but I think. But another reason I don't do I was it. Just say about your book, the Virtu yeah. thing, though. But I mean. That was clever because there's probably quite a lot of that that does go on. I bet there are people who just sit down and work out the best way to exploit yeah. Twitter. I think some people are very tactical on on social media, and they know that, that's that's where you see so many so many rhetorical fallacies like ad hominems going on. Yeah. They know they're ad hominems, but they do them anyway. Yeah. So, and then the other reason I don't go on it is like on a day like today, if you like, we have all these beers now, and then I go out after, and if I'm looking at my phone at sort of midnight and I'm shit faced. The last thing I want to be doing is tweeting then, yeah. Because that's that's one of those, you know, like there's there was that episode of um, Family Guy, and there's been other comedy skits about it where you just do one tweet and then your life's over. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, the, all all those I agree. I, I better steer it back because we've got so little time. Just to finish off this letter, basically, long and short of it is um, that Musk let all these people go from Twitter, and then Zuckerberg, not unreasonably, went, well, we'll fucking hire them then. Yeah. And then we'll get them to make a Twitter clone. Obviously, he would. They would resist 
the description's Twitter clone. They call it threads. They say it's its own it's it's a person in its own right. Wouldn't there be um, like a what's it called, garden leave period? Yeah, well that, so there will be some sort of contract law about all that sort of thing. But what they what um Musk's lawyer is alleging is that there's outright industrial espionage going on. The people went on, they, they actually took intellectual property with them. That do you know I mean Musk doesn't run a very tight ship. I bet you he didn't do a great job at removing everyone's access privileges to certain things. But then you never know. It could be 3D chess. Maybe he was laying traps for them and now he's got this paper trail of these fuckers dipping back in. Who knows? But but the allegation is that there's industrial espionage that went in went on. So um, what, he thinks they're going to just shut it down? Well, he's saying pack it in. And then he's going, um, in the final paragraph, it says, please consider this letter a formal notice that Meta must preserve any documents that could be relevant to a dispute between Twitter Meta and or former Twitter employees who now work for Meta. This includes unlimited documents, blah, blah, blah. So th then you, like in, in America, they talk about discovery where you have a legal case where you're obliged to hand over emails and conversations and, and documents. Um, and... You know, if there has been some kind of industrial espionage, and I'm certainly not saying there has, Facebook's lawyers, um, but hypothetically, if there had been, you'd think they would have covered their tracks very fucking well. Yeah. Like they wouldn't just have ex-Twitter employees walking into the offices with, with suitcases. Drive. Yeah. yeah, hard drive suitcases full of Twitter letter-headed paper yeah. uh, and exchanging like confidential documents over their Slack channels or whatever. But you never know. So I think it's gonna. I think it's going to kick off. Obviously... I, I imagine Facebook and Zuckerberg will have anticipated this challenge. There was there was a thing. How, how many people has Threads got, by the way? When did it launch, and how many has it got already? It's got like it was about ten million from, yesterday. No, it's thirty million yesterday. Thirty million. Yeah. Wait, three zero. Yeah. Oh. In in how long? Oh, it was in ten a day. within the. Oh. Yeah. Fuck. I think it was ten within ten hours. Then something like that. Well, I had to. One thing they can't do. Like I like to embed tweets, and they give it's you an bots. embed code. Spots. They haven't got embed code. This was like. When I published this, which was about 11 o'clock this morning, um, there was a, I presume they call it a thread I'm um, why from I'm Zuck. I'm uh, and surprised. it said, wow, 30 million signups as of this morning. And that was 17 hours ago. So that, and that was 11 this morning. This is now 3.30 in the afternoon. So let's say 24 hours ago, they, Zuck said they had 30 million. Well, so I'm let's assume. They, Twitter only has 60 million active users. Twitter, no, Twitter's got about 200 million active users. I oh, think. there was like so, 200 to 250. Oh, okay. But that, but which isn't very much. Okay. And a lot of those signups. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not a lot in terms it's of... It's not like Facebook, being, which has got over a it's billion. It's not a lot in terms of Facebook or in terms of it being what Mark Zuck, um Sorry, what Elon Musk has described it as, as, as the sort of digital town square or whatever. Because mm. if you think about how many people there are on the planet... Mm. And, and and 250 million in the context of... I still think it's the closest... Well, in this room alone, nobody uses it, so... Well, hang on a minute, though. <laughs> well, but I use it as a spectator. I just don't uh, use it as a post. Uh, I don't even use it was, at all. Since right. this thing was launched, the only people I've met have all, all seemed to have like, either signed up to it or looked at it. He's he signed up to it. But I did it mainly for the purpose of writing this story. The pub have, have, got, have yeah. got it. You, you haven't because you're French and it's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> it does live in England, to be fair. Um, I'm just not interested. Uh, he doesn't commute yeah. over. Doesn't commute, commute over from Boulogne. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but yeah, you know, 30 million signups doesn't mean 30 million daily active users. Obviously, no. Uh, yes, but, that's true. Um, um, but yeah, how many people like rush in to well, yeah, book the Because they're just curious. Yeah, yeah or they just want to see. Yeah, I'll sell you. Well, and it's incredibly easy to do because it, it just migrates 
all your stuff from Instagram. So uh, you don't even need to create a new account, really. By the way, the Twitter 250 million, which I think it's a little bit less than that, but that was the last time that they publicly reported their daily active users. So who knows now? It's gone now, sorry. Who, who knows what it is uh, now that uh, Musk's taken it over and, yeah. and done things to it, done unholy things to it? Indeed. Well, I think it has fallen off. A lot of people... A lot of people are not happy about it. But other people might be happier. Yeah. Well, I, I, I prefer Twitter as it is now to how it was then because people would get chucked off. You know, like this, I, this is not obviously a rabbit, a rabbit hole I want to go down to ever, let alone now with our cons- time-constrained environment. But you know we've got how it's a real political football, the whole trans thing. Yeah. You'd get people getting chucked, permanently banned from Twitter for saying a man isn't a woman or something that was previously just considered the most anodyne, pointless, redundant thing you could say. And that the only reason I bring it up is that's an indication of how politicised it got. This thing that that someone at the top had decided, no, that's a political statement, will then just unilaterally chuck people off. And there's no right of reply, there's no appeal, there's no three strikes or anything like that. Yeah. So I'm quite pleased that he's he's let it be a bit more of a Wild West. But there, there are downsides to that, I won't, I won't deny that. So anyway, the long and short of it is this will probably drag on. Presumably, um, Zuckerberg's not about to take a backward step. Maybe, Maybe. they say whoever wins the fight gets to keep. Yeah, well, I was just <laughs> I was just about to speculate about that. <laughs> that will come down to that. But Pierre, we're, we're, at the start, you were going to say something about it. Uh, was it, have we already covered what you were going no, to talk it was just about? The, the whole sign up thing. Like, if you like, you, if you try a thread, you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't like it. I just want to delete my profile. Oh, yeah, go on. You have to delete. Tell us whole, more about that. You just need to delete the whole of Instagram as well. Is that that also you've heard, it's or you like, or you know that for a fact, or you just read it? I read it, yeah. Right, I haven't tried it, so I don't know. But so so now that I've created, so yeah, I've created a Threads account, um, and you know I, I'm not going to do it now. But what what you've read is that if I tried to undo it, it would also fuck As over in, my Instagram account. Is it a separate app? First of all, it is a separate app, but it's obviously very umbilically linked to Instagram because it, it takes your it uses your Instagram login and it automatically migrates all the people you follow on Instagram onto threads mm. so it's a separate app but only partially separate. maybe it's just because they just launched and for now if you want to mm. delete it's your a bit profile dodge, isn't it? that is a little bit dodge and there's also yeah. been quite a lot of negative press about it because when you go onto the page like the, the previous story I wrote about it earlier in the week um, so if I'm not an Instagram user which I'm not by the way and I wanted to create a Threads account, do I have to become an Instagram You probably user? do, yeah. I don't know that. That's just my speculation. But, like, for example, if you look at the... And WhatsApp, no. They call it Threads... They call it... In, in the App Store, they call it Threads an Instagram app. And one other thing that's, that's worth talking about... Um, and one thing that got a lot of uh, traction earlier on in the week when, when, they just, when they created the app page but you couldn't download the app yet is they have to show, you know how whenever you create an app, it says you, this app is now allowed to check out, you know, who you fancy or, or whatever it, yeah. whatever data you got on your phone. Um, well, this one had data linked to you. You know, the following data may be collected and linked to your identity, and there's just a list of what is it, about 20 things, including health and fitness. Oh, and there's one category called other data. That's fucking helpful, isn't it? <laughs> Um, lo- you know, location, contact, search history, uh, contact info. Did so- you see um, the new episodes of Black Mirror? Yeah, yeah, we watched all of them. So, have you, the, the, so I've been watching the first one where they, where some woman sits down in the evening to watch a TV program with her fella, 
and uh, and it's like there's this pro- program starring Salma Hayek called Joan is Awful. Her name's Joan, and she's got the same it hairstyle. It turns out the, the and, program's about and her. The program's basically the day she's just had, and yeah. and, and completely ruins her reputation because her her workers see it. Yeah. And then she goes over to complain to a lawyer about it, and she said, "Well, when you signed up for all these social it's media apps, you gave them control." Of you know, the and all the Eulers and the T's and C's. And I just thought this is brilliant. I only saw the. The space episode. Holy oh, shit. that's from that's from back in the day. You no. mean the, the, the Josh Hartnett one? The one they have the oh, gate. sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. What oh, do you think of that? Did you enjoy just, it? At the ending was it's dark, <laughs> brutal, darker. Oh this 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 series of Black Mirror. I mean, there's a na- you know there's a clue in the name, but th- it's especially dark. The endings right. in previous Black Mirrors, there's normally some sort of slightly uplifting bit at the end yeah. whereas these ones they've just gone no nah, that's it yeah yeah but but it doesn't Deal with it. it almost doesn't really fit like it could have been better without but they're like no we're going to make a point of making this super dark and it's like oof Would, what what they really have done it reminds me you know it's to anyone's watched the sopranos that i won't give a spoiler but the final final episode of soprano left was quite divided a lot of opinion because it wasn't a neat and tidy ending um And they seem to have done that with every one of these Black Mirrors. It's just like not... We expect a sort of beginning, middle and end of, of a given piece of, like, television art. Yeah. Whereas the end is sort of messy or loose or disappointing or, or, or inconclusive. And, yeah, there's a part of me that quite appreciates that. It's a bit different. Yeah. But, yeah, no, have you yeah, been enjoying it? Well, yeah. Have you enjoyed Joan is Awful? That. Joan right. is Awful. And you've seen the space one. Yeah, so, I've seen yeah. all of them. They're all good. I don't think any of them are as good as the best ones from the first like four or five seasons. Yeah. But they're not bad. And they had they had a couple of ones that were a bit shit a few years ago. Yeah. I think this isn't a bad effort, but some of my favorites from the original batch are still the best. When you said the space one, one of my favorites from back in the day was the one where a guy sets up this immersive VR thing where he gets to basically be Captain Kirk from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favourite ever ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've Very seen good. that one. Yeah, yeah that's really good. I was from the last yeah. season before. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Right, yeah, that's brilliant. No, they're, they're really good. I mean, you know, Charlie Brooker used to be a and tech, he, tech journalist. He gets trapped in it or something like that? Something. That's crazy. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we've got great Spoiler things ahead alert. of us, Scott. Sorry. We are? Got great things ahead of us. Yeah, well, As you know. creators of... His, his foray into fiction has gone slightly better than mine. Yeah. But that's fine, I'm not bitter. <laughs> Right, that's um, yeah. We kind of we kind of done that, um, and we're running out of time. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm not surprised that there's aggro, um, and it does seem a bit cheeky. I suppose that the other thing I want to say very quickly is, you know, I I just wonder what the law is in terms of intellectual property law. What's what's what are the boundaries? What to prevent you just ripping someone off? I mean, like we've got no IP protection on this. If someone else wanted to go off and do the telecommunications podcast yeah and talk in a similar and have similar personalities to ours and cover a subject subject matter we couldn't stop them yeah but there there does come a point where you do have intellectual property and that's where lots of high-powered highly paid lawyers get involved so on one side i'm like well fair play to him and i think musk did uh, there was one tweet i embedded um in in the one i wrote today uh, at the bottom where um Musk said in response to, you know, a story about Twitter suing Meta, he just went, competition is fine, cheating is not. Well, where does well, where where is that line? But I can question. understand why Musk is miffed about this, because it does sound like a direct sort of copy of the format that Twitter 
came up with, uh, even using Twitter people. And, um, you know, it's not as though Zuckerberg doesn't have form, is it? Yeah. Didn't he rip off the whole sort of concept of the of Facebook from those two twins that were in the film? Winkle Voss. Winkle Voss things. Yeah. And, so, and, but allegedly. And then he's got bits. Yeah, and he, he comes up with features that are similar to Snapchat or whatever. Is there any more of that? Oh, those? sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Do you want, so we've got I'm not sure if we should be choice. drinking this much before a meeting with my boss. No, but, no, no. We've got a choice, we've got Punk, we've got Hazy Jane. And but we've I will got, anyway. We've got a neck oil. Do you want a neck oil? That's the weakest one, so you don't yeah, I love one of those, go though. mad when you're talking to <laughs> your boss. Um, okay, boss. Well, we better move it on because we've got 20 minutes left before said meeting. So you've got about a quarter of an hour, Ian. Right. Why don't you get straight into your... What are talking about? I forgot. Um, just Huawei and Germany and uh, their yeah. 5.5G. Well, it was more so about... Huawei's I mean... the segment. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's various things going on with Huawei all the time, but they... We had that show in Shanghai last week. MWC Shanghai. MWC, apparently the first one since... Lockdown. The, well, there was one that happened in 2021. Where had to wear 20 but, masks. But it was mainly digital. I don't think many people right. came. I mean, this is the first proper one since the... Um, you know, since the, since before the pandemic, uh, after after the longest government lockdown in the world, well, China uh, had this zero COVID policy. Yeah, and then and then shit. I think it was actually a little bit of a damp squib, really. The Mobile World Congress Shanghai. There wasn't what, this one or the one the in twenty one. Happened now. Oh, okay, was it? Yeah, well, I, we didn't, the, I don't think we covered it. The coverage that Robert was coming out with, I think even if he saw some of his stories were sort of referring to the fact that there wasn't a huge amount that was new from some of the companies. But And and I get, um, it seems, I don't know, maybe this is me um, having too much conjecture, but the way things are going, the, the sort of uh, geographical um, bifurcation that's gone on, largely at the hands of the Americans, yeah. freezing out, I get the impression it's it's... MWC Shanghai is primarily like a Chinese well, company and, event. Uh, yeah, and it's going to go even more that way. And then yeah. are, are people from like Western vendors even going to be there? I don't know how involved they are at the moment, to be honest with you. But which sort of brings me to the point of the of the of the, yeah. the, the, the section because Huawei came out with this five and a half G update on the last day, which we didn't cover, but it had a press release. Curiously, on the very last day, we're going to have five and a half G products ready next year. Right. Uh, the five and a half G, by the way, is something that nobody else uses. Only They're using 5G uses advanced. That. It's 5G advanced, which is the later release. So do you think they're deliberately trying to differentiate their well, I 5G think, development? I think five and a half G sounds more advanced than 5G advanced. I think that's why they're doing it. And uh, But they made some references in this press release to... Presumably they call it 5.5 like, G. 5.5. Yeah, 5.5, yeah. 5.5, yeah. Um, but they made references to things like, um, you know, um, metaverse-type stuff and applications. But they also talked a bit about uh, the network side of it and lower latency networks, um, microsecond latency on 5G networks. God, that latency... Do you know mean... what microsecond means? Well, it means a thousandth of a second. No, that's millisecond. Oh, that's, what, a millionth of yeah. a second. Right, yeah. So, and there was stuff about advanced antenna arrays that we don't have with current 5G networks. And, and so I, I was reading all of this and I was thinking, um, you know, on the network side alone, forget some of the application software stuff, but in terms of the hardcore network stuff that Huawei's always done and that it started off doing, they're not in a very good position at the moment, unless there's something we don't know that China's doing that we haven't been right. told about. Why aren't they? How do you know that because, they're not? So, so, so the big problem for them, and this has been a, this isn't a new thing, but I thought it was worth sort of revisiting with them coming out with this some of this stuff, and they've never really been able to explain um, things very well, is that their ability to produce advanced 5G equipment is basically fucked. 
Is that because of the, primarily because of the chip thing? Yeah, uh, because what you, the thing that US sanctions have done is cut them off from companies who were the only companies able to produce really sort of advanced uh, chip technologies at the moment. Did we talk about ASML last week? Uh, we might have done. I don't oh, know. Good. I, I, I just so. I mean, I won't get into it because well, I mean, it's a little time. That's, but That's one we can bring but up. There, but there's a new level. No, well, this just augments your point. There's a new level of restrictions that the Dutch are putting on ASML exports. Right. Yes. I yeah. saw your story on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, totally. And that feeds into this. But I mean, it, one another reason it occurred to me is I just talked to, as you, you've been on the same call with um, Mark Atkinson of Nokia. Right. Yeah. So Mark Atkinson at Nokia is pretty much Tommy Wito sort of number two okay he's like the head of ran which is the main thing in mobile isn't it um and he's a really smart guy actually sort of spoke to him uh the day after that sort of group thing that he did and but even on the group thing he was talking about um how their ba- their latest base station equipment now is relying on on sort of like five nanometer technology which tommy Wheatley yeah. told me back in um february march but hadn't made a big which uh, is made a big deal which of it is, then, but so for to all intents and purposes, the very latest, most high tech yeah. chip manufacturing technology. Yeah, and and um, I mean when these when these US sanctions came in, um, and this is the thing that you don't you read these press releases from Huawei, you'd think, oh, this company's obviously in fine form. It's doing five point five G. You know, there's obviously no problem, and there's still. I mean, let's remember that their revenues last year were about thirty percent down on what they were in twenty twenty. And most of that was to do with a big drop-off in smartphone business because they ended yeah. up flogging a unit. Um, they 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 had two pro- they had a couple of big problems. One was to do with Google because they couldn't sort of support Google applications on their phones anymore, and the other one was basically not being able to get access to these five nanometer chips, which are only really produced at the moment by two companies, TSMC in Taiwan. Well, they can't get hold of, I mean, even older, like seven... Even older, 11, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's T- TSMC... Was it nine? Oh, fuck it, it doesn't I, matter. I mean, I think uh, if you look at the Chinese ones, they're... they're, 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 they're they're more they're more capable than they were, but they're they're not at the stage of being able to do sort of the the very latest process nodes. It's really only Samsung and TSMC, yeah. and the reason that hit their smartphone business a lot worse than the um, than the networks business. So if you look at the, the if you break look at the breakdown, the smartphone business went down a half, I think, the revenues. Yeah. And the networks business only went down like a few percentage points. And a big, and a and, big, uh, uh, further exacerbating factor with the smartphones is they weren't allowed to get hold of proper Android. And they weren't allowed to get pr- yeah. proper Android. But yeah. if you look at the chip stuff alone and why why that might have hurt smartphones more than yes. networks, there's two yeah, you, reasons. Yeah. One is that the smartphones are always ahead on the process nodes. So when Apple started using these five, that's normally where chips, the cutting edge ones go uh, first. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the base station equipment is lagging behind on that stuff. Yeah. And so that's one reason. And the other reason is I think Huawei shipped something like, I don't know, 120 or million smartphones in 2019, for instance, uh, and a million base stations. Right. And so, so each each yep. base station needs its own sort of baseband chip, as does each smartphone. But if you look at it in terms, in terms of a volume numbers. perspective, yeah. you can keep that business going a lot more easily with stockpiles, which they'd spent a lot of money sort of building up these stockpiles because they knew their new sanctions were coming, I think, before they came. What's happened now, though, is we were a lot further on in time, and those latest base stations, as as per Mark Atkinson's comments, are now using five nanometer technology. They've got to the stage of mm-hmm. using the stuff that Apple was sort of introducing to iPhones a few years ago, you, which you can only get from these two companies. And if you're not putting that into your products, then your products are basically not as competitive as, no, as what as your good. rivals are doing. Yeah. They're not as good. 
And therefore, anything they put out about um, product competitiveness these days, I really question their ability to sort of carry on producing this. So that circles back to your 5.5G chest beating. And and to put it into a sort of European context, I mean, I think one of the reasons why... um, We've had all these government sanctions coming in in some countries in Europe and other ones have been a bit more sort of, oh, as long as you get rid of it in the core, then we're not going to worry so much yeah. about the RAN. I thought the UK's point on it was quite interesting because they were a lot tougher actually after the US sanctions came in. And I remember Ian Levy, who was the technical director at the cybersecurity office, writing a really interesting blog about this, about how they couldn't really trust where some of the components were coming from. But you would have thought that operators themselves who are buying these products and are very concerned about competitiveness and form factors and weight and all these things would start to think "Mm, maybe now is the time to start thinking about moving away from a company that can't get access to cutting edge technology because China just doesn't have the ability to produce that at the moment. Yeah, that was the point I remember years ago when we were discussing it and you you were quite vehement and right to be so that, that you know, I I put too much weight on on us being politically bullied into making the decision by the Americans. But you pointed out that to a certain degree... We were forced to by Americans, but not by political bullying, but but because of the sanctions they'd imposed. Yeah, they it therefore created security problems that that we were then able to say, okay, well now they look a bit more dodgy. Totally, it's not their fault. No, it, um, it, but so if we if we give the Americans credit, they played a bit of three D chess there. They went, I tell you what. If we stop them getting hold of this, then that's going to make the security profile more dodgy, which is going to make our allies do what we want. Yeah. I mean, I mean, where's the most advanced 5G networks being rolled out in the world at the moment, you think, probably? I would, I'd always, I would have started with South Korea to I mean, start I, with. Probably, but I, I reckon probably India. Right. I well, that's certainly where a lot of the action's going. I mean, in, India's where a lot of spending's going on, and they're, they're just doing it now, whereas all these other companies, like, so China, this is the thing, China's like way ahead in 5G rollout, you know, they've rolled out this really extensive network. Well, they have, but they did it two years ago. Right. So how whereas, good is it Whereas India, and you look at how the specs have changed in those two years, and India's now just starting to put in all this mid-band massive MIMO mm. equipment. And yet, and then the next stage that comes, the five and a half G or the five G advanced or whatever you, you you talk about, there'll be a new wave of equipment that will need even even smaller chips. Mark Atkins says that we're planning on going even smaller than that in terms of the transistor size. It's in the yeah. semiconductors. Well, Huawei can't get any of this no. stuff anymore, so okay. their, their so products you, are suffering. So you're right to be skeptical about that. With the little time we got left, I seem it's, to remember you, the you, Germany thing. Yeah, go on. So, so I mean, it kind of ties in a little bit, but um, uh, there's obviously a lot of criticism of Germany at the moment because the European we talked about this in the pod before about the European Commission sort of going around and get trying to get a bit tougher. You know, you shouldn't be using That's Chinese right. vendors and you still are. I mean, the worst offender from their perspective is obviously Germany because it's the biggest country in Europe. Which is setting up a battle of wills between a nation state yeah. and the EU. Yeah. And um, and all their operators are kind of have used Huawei and, Germ- and Deutsche Telekom, the incumbents, kind of heavily invested in it. I think it's about 60% of the network is... Is, uh, the RAN network is Huawei and it's about the same proportion Which of 5 equipment built out. It's an issue. And um, they've been very resistant to doing anything about it. And they put this blog up this week or last week, a few days ago, which I didn't get hold Who of. Who put the blog up? Deutsche Telekom. Right. 
um, sort of defending what they're doing. Their position. Yeah. And I just had a look at it this morning and it's one of those quiet news days where you think, well, let's have a look at a blog and maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. write another blog on top of that. But I just thought it, some of their points I, I didn't think were very, I thought it was all on very shaky ground. I any, mean, they, Any spring to mind? Yeah, so there's a, a few <laughs> things. One thing is that they were sort of trying to get in, in, into it, this idea that they're not as reliant on Huawei as they are because they're doing things with Fujitsu and Nokia on open RAN. Well, that they are, but they haven't done anything. That's the and thing. Open RAN's still a tiny they put consideration. Out, they put out a white paper themselves in February saying Open RAN isn't ready for wide-scale network deployment. Right, and so you can't have it both ways. And the best that can be expected by the end of 2023 is that there'll be a minor deployment yeah. of it. And I know they're doing trials at this O-RAN town or whatever they've got in some fancy-named city that I can't remember the name off the top of my head. With but too many be, consonants and yeah, not enough gaps between the words. One of those ones. But they but they basically haven't really deployed anything. Um, and then they were saying, um, they were trying to sort of make out, and, I, and this isn't a new argument, that the RAN is not a critical element in the way that... Um, in the way the core is. And so this made... is back to the English argument of like 2020? Completely, yeah. yeah. British, uh, But say. they brought it up this week, or, or it might have been at the tail end of last week, yeah. in this blog, um, that the RAN isn't a critical element. If you get it out of the core, then that's okay because they can sort of protect the RAN. And uh, I thought it was really interesting comparing it with a white paper that Ericsson put out a few years ago where they talked about uh, Ericsson, by the way, being the other one of Deutsche Telekom's really big RAN vendors in Germany, right. that's the one that does the rest of it, the 40% that Huawei doesn't do, uh, put out a white paper saying that the lines between the RAN and the core are blurry, and it's becoming even blurrier with uh, the move to 5G advanced technologies. And basically... So do you think they would have had a vested interest in that? In saying that? They probably did have I, a vested interest. to get interest. more people to swap out Huawei. They probably did have a vested interest, but I also think... They've got a good point, actually. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. they're wrong. And I think a lot of these technologies that Deutsche Telekom's pushing to do with Open RAN are, um, you know, are going to make that line even blurrier. The, the Open RAN stuff is really sort of blurring the distinctions between, between core functions and RAN functions. And then the other thing they were saying is that... Um, yeah, here was the other thing. Because because the because of single RAN, the whole concept of single RAN is that all the different generations are sort of on the same platform, the same hardware platforms. Okay. So you have one radio unit that supports 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. Right. Yeah? Um, which you can see would be Yeah, efficient. which is what they all do pretty much, European operators right. now. But if you take, obviously that means if you swap out your 5G equipment, you've got to swap out everything else as well and right. all the systems that support them. And they were saying, well, that's really, really expensive. You know, it's hard to do. And we've talked about the cost Seems like before. a fair point. It is. But, you know, and I've, 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 I almost feel like I'm contradicting myself a bit here because I've talked about the cost of this being a, a big deal for them. Mm -hmm. and it's not going to happen quickly. But if you put it into context, I think what Barclays was saying, because I managed to get hold of a research note of their estimates of what it would cost Deutsche Telekom, they reckon they put the cost at about 1.1 billion. Yeah. And now that's 1% of Huawei's, of um, Deutsche Telekom sales last year. It's about 14% of its net profit. Right. It's, so it's doable, in it, other words. I mean, yeah. I mean, Deutsche Telekom, out of all the European operators, and they all whinge about but how hard up they are. Most of their profit come from T-Mobile US. But it's, Yeah, but it does. That's true. And that's the reason they're the one exception. Although, actually, you, you did have to correct me that, that it's a separate shareholding. So it's, it's not all just one big P&L, is it? No, but but they are very they are successful in a way that European operators are, other yeah. European operators are because of TMOBLUS. Right. But that doesn't change the point that they've got themselves they've into got a, quite a healthy position. Yeah. Spend some of your TMUS money on it. And here's the other weird thing is that this resistance to swapping out, uh, they did it. They've done it themselves. They swapped Eric's. They swapped Nokia out a few years ago and right. replaced them with Ericsson. That was actually a light reading scoop, by the way, to sort of shout, shout, light, shout of light reading. Yeah, I think I remember they, that. 
it wasn't that wasn't to do with political consideration. Is that one of the obviously. ones where you upset Nokia by writing it? Probably, yeah. but um, but they but they yeah probably did. But they um, they decided not for anything to do with that was political, but purely for sort of commercial and technical considerations that they wanted to move to Ericsson rather than. Um, rather than keep Nokia, yeah, and therefore they've spent a few years changing Nokia's equipment. But I suppose so it, the, the ultimate argument is, I don't know if this is true. Correct me, but it's one thing replacing things during a nat natural obsolescence cycle. Yeah, is another thing doing it um, yes, outside it of that cycle. It is, and that's why I think that I'm, I'm. I look at those Barclays numbers, and I wonder if they're on the low side, and it could be worse than that. But. Um, yeah, I don't think they're... Um, by the way, none of this is an argument for you should replace Huawei. I'm just saying if you're going to argue for keeping it, you need to have a fairly rock-solid case there. And I don't think they made it very well in this blog at all. Fair enough. Um, but, yeah. Okay, well, that's a good point. Look, we're, we're like five minutes before your meeting. And I think why why take it down to the wire? Does that seem to be a natural ending point? Yeah. Although I doubt you've done all that neck or so. No, I don't know how your boss feel. is going to feel with you just staggering into the meeting with a half-drunk tin of neck oil. Well, I'll, she'll do but that. We'll find out. It. And if, if there's no pod next week, you'll know how it played out. And actually, we'll say in advance, I mean, I'll say it again next week, but when we do it um, next week, that's going to be the last one for a little while because I'm going off on holiday. No, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then Pierre's doing his usual French thing of August just being a non-starter. But no, th there might be one day... In the middle of August, we do it, but you're basically going to get fuck all out of us for for the summer after next so, week. So it's basically two more before September, yeah. Yeah, so we'll do one next week. We think we managed to fit one in on August the 11th, we reckon, mm -hmm. and then nothing till September. So you're just going to have to cope or just keep re what replaying it. like with your epic European holidays? Yeah. You're like Italians, a lot of you. <laughs> so I haven't used ways. anything until then, so... Yeah, exactly. I'll save up on my holiday and then have a big one. I'm going off and hanging out with my mum and my brother and, and my sister-in-law and my nephews in La Gomera, which is in the Canary Islands. that is. Oh. Yeah, Canaries. Yeah, it's one of the really. Canaries that no one goes to, except my family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I will wrap... Your own up. island, like Richard Branson's island. <laughs> Imagine Necker, having Necker. your own Canary Island. Necker's Island, yeah. That would be so cool. Right, I thought you were going to say Epstein Island for a sec. Uh, <laughs> I don't want one of those. Oh, shit. Um, on that note, um, I will say thanks a lot for watching and make sure you join us for the next one.